As you're finding uh, as you're finding your seat, I want to make sure that you got one of the brown paper bags. So if you don't have one, hold your hand up until somebody comes around and gets you one. Okay, everybody's going to need one of those. And while you're waiting for that, I want to encourage you to find your place in the Bible. We're in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, if you're using the Journey Bible that's provided there for you, it's on page 1291. Page 1291 in the Journey Bible. I wonder if this ever happens at your house. I want you to imagine it's Thursday evening. This is what happens at the Garziellas anyway. And it's been one of those busy days for you. Maybe you've been working late or you're running the kids from school to sports practices. Uh, Maybe you're out mowing the lawn or this time of the year shoveling snow. And all of a sudden, your stomach shouts at you. Feed me. And you look at your clock and you realize it is 620. And I haven't thought about supper at all. What are we going to have for supper? You ever have that, what are we going to eat? What are we going to have for supper? At the Guards Yellows, it kind of moves through this predictable pattern. It starts with what I called food apathy. I look at Tammy and say, well, what do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? Well, I don't care. I don't feel like making anything. Well, I don't feel like making anything either. And so we move on from food apathy to what I would call food math. Food math. Well, we still got to eat, so we go to the fridge, and we begin to count. We begin to look at what do we have. Hey, we've got leftover lasagna. Oh, wait a minute. There's only enough for one of us. Ah, I could scramble some eggs. Eh, I had eggs for breakfast. I could go out and pick something up. Eh, Too expensive, and I don't feel like leaving the house at this point anyway. We move through apathy, and then we do our food math, and then finally, if it's that desperate, once in a while we have fend for yourself night, right? You ever get to those? Some of you really like one, especially those of you who have kids. Go for it. I love those nights. And so it's like, you know what? We can't figure it out, so everybody just figure it out for themselves. So Tammy picks something healthy, and I pick something easy, and that's supper for the night. What do we eat? It's one of the most basic questions of life that's asked several times a day by everybody across the globe and through history. And in the first world, it's difficult because we have too many choices. I don't know, we could have this or this or this or this or this, and we get paralyzed by our choices. In much of the world and through much of history, there has been no choice. I don't have anything, or if what I have, it's just that. My options are few. Helping people eat is part of the gospel. There are great needs in our world, and it's so easy to get apathetic about it and just kind of go, well, people can take care of themselves. Or to do the math and say, you know, what difference can I make anyway? I'm just one person. Let them fend for themselves. But we will discover today that the gospel is multifaceted, and helping people eat is part of the gospel. It's not the full gospel, but it is part. Caring for physical And emotional needs is part of the gospel. It's not the full gospel, but it is part. And of course, as you came here today for the preaching of the word, for uh, reflection on forgiveness and salvation, yes, that is part of the gospel, perhaps the most central part of the gospel, but it by itself is not the full gospel. Today we're going to learn that Jesus sends you to love people with the full gospel, spiritual, physical, emotional. And we see it in the New Testament. If we look at the book of Acts, we find the early church preaching the gospel, healing those that are sick, 
sharing resources whenever someone's in need, caring for those who are down and out. But throughout history, church history, the pendulum has kind of swung from one side to the other. Sometimes we focus so much on just teaching that God loves you and you can have an eternal place with him in heaven that we forget about the, temp- the temporal needs, the needs right now. And so, for instance, in the 13th century, along came somebody named St. Francis of Assisi. You might have heard of him. And he was kind of all about caring for people. And he said this, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. In other words, he's saying we need to love in action. And that's kind of warm and fuzzy, but the gospel without words is not the gospel. We need to preach Jesus Christ, him crucified, buried, and resurrected. So sometimes the pendulum swings over to that side then. It's like, you know, we've got to teach people about salvation by grace alone and teach the Bible and all that other stuff. That's just band-aids to the real eternal truths. And that ends up kind of cold and empty. So how do we find the right view? How do we find the balanced view? How do we find the Jesus view? Let's go to our text, Mark chapter 6. And we're going to begin here in verse 30 in just a second. We last saw the disciples in verse 12. In verse 12, the disciples had gone out. Jesus sent them out to do his work. They were casting out demons. They were preaching the gospel. They were healing the sick. Very holistic ministry. Then we had this kind of little parenthesis. Whatever happened to John the Baptist? We kind of heard what happened to John the Baptist. Sometimes as Christ followers, we we lay it all down. And now in verse 30, we're back with the kind of back on track with our story, and the apostles come back telling Jesus what happened. Verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Quick observation before we move on. Jesus was teaching people. The disciples were teaching people. But not only did Jesus care about people's souls, he cared about their bodies. And even the disciples said, you know what? You guys are tired. Your mind is exploded by all this crazy cool stuff that's going on. You need some refreshment. I care about all of you. You're the whole you. So let's get some rest. Verse 32. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. He had compassion on them. They were, they were shepherdless. Norm just talked about moving towards shepherding. People need care. And he began to teach them. That's part of the gospel, key part. So he saw the disciples' physical needs. He saw the spiritual needs of the masses. And he kind of said to his disciples, I know we said we were just going to go get some rest, but let's, let's, can you hang in there with me a little longer? Because I feel the need to teach these people. Let's do this a little longer. So what happens next? Verse 35. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. I think they're hangry by this time. Okay? They've been, they've been waiting. And they say, this is a remote place. And it's already very late. Send the people away. Remember that phrase? So that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Food apathy. We don't know what we're eating, let alone everybody else. Food math. There's no food here for everybody. Send them away. And it became fend for yourself night. Just let them go do their own thing. Verse 37. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. You feed them. 
I can't imagine what's going on in the disciples' heads because they're thinking, we've been teaching, healing, liberating from spiritual forces, and now you want us to cook supper? So they continue with their food map, and they bring it to Jesus' attention. Because, by the way, when our faith is weak, it's amazing how often we rely on reason. We're supposed to be led by faith. And it was reasonable what they said to Jesus, but it wasn't faith. They said to him, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go spend that much on bread and give it them to eat? It doesn't add up. We don't have enough leftover slices of pizza. DoorDash cannot fill that size of an order. And can you imagine the tip on that size of an order? We don't have that much resources. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. The Gospel of John tells us two small fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. They still had work to do. He also divided the two fish among them all. And this is where it gets amazing. They all ate and were satisfied. Now, I can eat a lot before I'm satisfied. They were all satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men, they were just counting sort of the heads of household. There were more people than this. Who had eaten was 5,000. Miracle! Like, really big miracle. Five loaves, two fishes, and thousands and thousands of people were satisfied. They ended up with more food at the end. Did you catch that? Than they started with. Ended up with more than they started with. See, the message that Jesus paused to teach was very important. Probably the most important. But his heart broke for these people who were hungry. And he decided to give them the full gospel. Relieving suffering, meeting physical needs is part of the gospel. And God sends us out to love people with that full gospel. Now, Jesus put food in everybody's hands. I don't have food for you this morning, but I have something symbolic that's been passed out to you. Everybody got your brown bag? Why on earth do you have a brown bag? Let me tell you. I thought about giving you a lunch pail. You know, you remember the old uh, lunch box when you were a kid? When I was a kid, it was, you know, $6 million man or Spider-Man lunchbox. Girls had Wonder Woman. I never really had a cool lunchbox. I had a brown paper bag. And I'd go to school, and everybody else was cool with a lunchbox, and I had a brown paper bag. But then I went to junior high. And in junior high, lunchboxes are so children, so elementary school. Brown paper bags are cool. And I suddenly became cool. And I have been cool ever since. And so I'm passing a little bit of that on to you today. With this bag today and the scripture, I want to demonstrate four necessary items to be able to live out a full gospel ministry. And when we're all done, I want you to take this bag home with you. It's kind of your go bag. Uh, Norm mentioned equip coming up. The gospel on the go. How do we carry the gospel with us everywhere we are? And I'm going to invite you to take this bag and put it on your dashboard or on your fridge or take it to school with you in your backpack where you'll see it and let it be a reminder to you of what we're learning today. I'll explain a little bit more about it as we go. So the first necessary item that needs to be in your bag, metaphorically, is what I call readiness. Readiness. 
we need to increase our compassion capacity. If we are going to be like Jesus and minister with the full gospel, you have to increase your capacity for love. You have to open your eyes and see what's going on in the world around you and let your heart break the same way Jesus' heart broke. Now, I just came back last week from a trip to El Salvador with a few other people from Genesis. Uh, we're going to talk about it in a few weeks when our team's back together here so you'll learn more about it. But we went down there to, to kind of get eyes on Orphan Helpers, a ministry we've supported for a number of years. They work with incarcerated youth in Central America. And these youth of you know, 15 to 25, they've gone through some really rough stuff. Most of them have been in gangs. They're, they're victims of and have um, committed violent crimes, extortion, a murder. I, would, I didn't quite know what to expect. And, you know, sometimes from a distance we just go, well, that's not my problem. I mean, you know, I hope somebody's caring for them down there. And they sound like criminals, so they should be in jail. Get them off the streets. That's what's happening in El Salvador. The government's cracking down, arresting anybody who even looks like a gang member. They've suspended habeas corpus. They can arrest anybody for any reason and detain them for as long as they want. They're putting them in jail. But I tell you, I got down there and my heart broke. The, the, these guys with gang tattoos that you look at and first you kind of want to be a little distant from, you get talking to them and you realize they got sucked into this gang when they were like 12 years old. They had no family and the gang offered them something. And then they put them to work. You need to extort these people. You need to beat up these people. You need to kill these people. And they pick on the young ones. If you really want to belong, you'll kill them. And they pick on the young people because if they get caught for murder, their sentence is only like 15 or 20 years as opposed to the adult who's going to be in 40 years of their life. So let's let the young ones do it. And by the way, if you don't do that, we'll kill you. It's a complex problem. I met this one uh, young woman in the, the women's uh, prison. Her name was Tatiana. She was 17. And she caught my eye in this worship service we were holding in the prison. Really great opportunities Orphan Helpers has. And I, I could just see she was fully engaged in what was going on. And then later in the day, um, she actually gave me a little gift that they had, they had made. It was interesting that of all the girls that kind of went around and gave gifts to, to us as uh, visitors, and she happened to be the one that gave me mine. So I asked the worker afterward, can you tell me more about her? She said, yeah, she's, she's a quiet girl, humble girl. Um, she came from a, a church family. And, I said, and she's in a 10-year sentence. She's two years into her 10-year sentence. So I'm thinking, man, what did she do? I said, well, what, what was her crime? Well, she was the girlfriend of a gang member. I said, right, but, but what was her crime? She was the girlfriend of a gang member. I said, but what did she do? She was the girlfriend of a gang member, and she's serving 10 years in prison. And my heart broke for her. Is that just? I, I don't know. I don't think so. And some of it's just one way or unjust another way, but it's a complex problem. And my heart breaks for people caught up in this. I met with this uh, one group. They was the most kind of hardened uh, prison. Uh, these guys have tattoos up and down their arms from the 18th Street Gang and MS-13. By the way, if you think, well, let all those Central American people deal with their own gangs. Those gangs come from Los Angeles, by the way. We exported them to El Salvador. And so I meet with these guys, and they were a little, again, a little scary at first. And then I got talking to them. They've been in the program with Orphan Helpers for several years. They've come to faith in Jesus Christ. They're getting trained. Some of them have a two-year college degree, so when they get out, they can get a job. Because if they don't have a job, they're going to end up back in the gangs. And I asked them, what has Orphan Helpers helped you with the most? And I was expecting things like... Well, they taught me the skill so I can get a job. Person to person, everything they mentioned was of a spiritual nature. 
Remember the one guy said, they taught me forgiveness. That I could be forgiven. And that I need to forgive. Because I need to forgive that gang that raped my sister. I need to forgive the government that arrested my brother who's not even in a gang, but he just looks like me and is related to me and he's stuck in here. And my heart broke. Now, I want to tell you, my heart doesn't break that easily. If you're like me, you get a little callous to stuff sometimes. But just like Jesus saw and his heart broke, we need to open our eyes and see like Jesus. And just because you don't feel something doesn't mean God's still not calling us to act. So how do we put this into practice? You have a brown bag. And I already put something in your brown bag for you. Okay? And if you'll dig in there, you're going to find, some of you have a bigger one, some of you have a smaller one, but you should find a Band-Aid. This is not for you. Wow, a lot of rustling bags. All right, trust me, it's in there. You can put it back in there, in, in, your, in the, your bag. You should have a Band-Aid in there. Why is that in there? Because to me, it represents compassion. The world is hurt and bleeding. People that you go to work with might have a smile on their face, but they're bleeding. People that you go to school with and play basketball with, they might, you know, have a great game, but they go home to a home that is hurting. And sometimes as Christians, we say, yeah, but what they really need is the truth about Jesus. Yes, they do. And part of the truth about Jesus, besides the fact that he loves us, died for us, and lives for us, is that he cares about our hurt. And I've heard people say, yeah, but you know, that those ministries, like, it just feels like we're putting a Band-Aid on the problem. Can I tell you, Jesus used Band-Aids for people. He healed people who later on in life, I'm sure, got sick again. Is that a Band-Aid? He raised some people from the dead who later died. Is that a Band-Aid? Here's the deal. When somebody's bleeding out, they'll say, give me the stinking Band-Aid. That's what I need right now. And yes, from there, through our love and compassion, we're able to share the rest of the gospel. So we need to ready our hearts. That's the first thing. But then we also need to gather our resources, our resources. Offer your resources as meager as they might appear. Let's take inventory for a minute. What do you have that you can offer to God? The apostles didn't think they had much at all. I mean, they had to look around, and they ended up with five loaves and two fish. And if we read the other Gospels, they weren't even theirs. They were some kids who was willing to help. See, the amount doesn't matter. What do you have? And some of you in this room have time, and you can offer that to people. You're a good listener, and you can offer that to people. You may have acute mental or physical skills that can solve a problem for somebody that they can't solve for themselves. Maybe you have some finances, some money that you can help provide. You know what surprised me the most when I went to El Salvador? You know, we're helping, we're contributing as a church, we're providing these aftercare so when they get out of prison, we're helping them with jobs, people are checking up on them. I was so impressed with the staff down there. They're just loving and following up on people. But they kept telling me, when you come down here, offer them hope. What they need is hope. I got to preach to about 200 guys in the first prison and 100 in the second, and that was my message you may feel like you're down in the bottom of a pit and you cannot even see a pinpoint of light up above. But would you borrow my hope? Because I see the God of hope. 
And I see people around here who are loving you and trying to help you. And if you'll take hold of that hope, you can have a life that God wants you to have. That's what they really needed was hope. And that kind of surprised me. Now, again, you might be thinking, I don't have much. But if you look back at verse 33 where Jesus says, you give them something to eat, you feed them, that you, by the way, is plural. We. You may not have much, but we together have an awful lot. You may have the tools, but not the time. Someone else can borrow your tools and help somebody. You may have the money, but not the skill. Give the money to the person who has the skill so they can go and meet the need. So, application. I want you to find a resource and put it in your bag. Let me give you some suggestions. We're going to do this right now. Whatever you can come up with. It might be your wallet, which represents some resources, or take out a little bit of cash, throw it in the bag. Maybe it's your watch that represents time that you could give. Come on, start doing it. Um, Maybe it's your phone. What does that represent? Attention. I'm always staring at my phone. That, you know, instead of staring at my phone, I could actually look out and see other people's needs. If nothing you have on you can represent, put some pocket lint in there. I don't care. God's going to multiply this, okay? So take a resource. Maybe it's a pen or a pencil. I can write somebody a note of encouragement. That's a resource. Put that in your bag, all right? Everybody getting something in your bag? I'm going to put my phone in my bag. All right. Cool. Resources. Resources. So we have a ready heart, We become aware of our resources. We need to be open-handed with them. We're outward-focused. We're open-handed. And then here comes the hardest part. We need to take responsibility. Take responsibility. Determine to take part in other people's problems. Determine to take part in other people's problems. Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks. You know, that's the speaking part. He let everybody know this miracle's coming from God. It was, it was visible and it was vocal. And then the disciples got involved. They distributed food and collected leftovers. That's a hard job. Any of you help out last 4th of July when we were doing hot dogs for the community? Remember how much work that was and how many people it took? And that was just hundreds of people we fed, not thousands of people. It's not easy. But the church is called to live this out. Philippians chapter 2, kind of a key verse this winter for us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. Take responsibility for other people's problems. And that takes determination. That takes sacrifice. That takes a willingness to overcome the biggest of all obstacles... Apathy. It's not my problem. It's not my problem that his electric bill is overdue. It's not my marriage problem. It's not my chronic pain. It's not my kids who are in trouble. Not my driveway that has all this snow in it. So send them away and let them fend for themselves. How often? How often do we do that? A lot. Pops in my mind, I could help, but I got other things to do. They can figure it out. Will you, like Jesus, take part in other people's problems? He looks at us and he says, you feed them physically, emotionally, spiritually, with the full gospel. So that takes an act of the will. That takes, I will do something. 
And so here's what we're going to do. I want you to take your bag. And I want you to give it away. Give it to somebody. Now you're thinking, I would have changed what I put in the bag had I known this was coming. <laughs> Come on. Give it to someone else. All right. Now, since this is just an exercise that I put you through, I'm trusting that you will get your bag back in the end and whatever's in it. Okay? But that, that's actually the last point. Because our hearts are ready, our resources, we're taking responsibility, but the next key element is faith. It's a reliance on God and his goodness and believing in the multiplying power of God. See, for a moment there you went, oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I want to give that away. And that's exactly what we go through every time. And then you wonder, if I give it away, am I going to be left wanting? It's exactly what we go through. It's exactly what the disciples were wondering. They were doing food math, and God said, let's do some faith math for a minute. Let's do some faith math. Five loaves plus two fish times faith equals abundance. God can do immeasurably more than all we are asked or imagine. And if we give in faith, it gets multiplied. If we put our gifts and our resources and our intention and our will in faith, we end up with basketfuls left over. I mean, think about this. The disciples away. Five loaves, two fish, not enough for everybody. Send them away. There's no food, not even hardly enough for us. And at the end of the miracle, what did they have? More food than they could eat. That's a miracle. That's God math. And if we had time, we could have people stand up and testify person by person by person how they have given over the years, how they have served over the years, and amazingly how God has provided for them. Amen? I can tell you that. I, you know, I don't know where it all went sometimes. You know, I gave through my church. I gave to these ministries. I gave to whatever. And I'm not wanting. And God uses that and has multiplied it for kingdom work. So what is the last thing? What do we do with this bag? What represents faith? It's the bag itself. All of these resources, your time, your readiness, even your responsibility, aren't going to do a lot until you put them all in this thing called faith and offer them to God first and through him to other people. But when you take those things and they're multiplied by faith, no matter how small, God does powerful things. Think of Moses out in the wilderness, nothing but a stick in his hand, and he comes to a burning bush and he says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? A stick. Great. With that stick and faith, we are going to conquer Egypt. David, there's a big giant guy there, taunting, tormenting. What do you have? Five smooth stones. Great. We only need one. And we'll defeat the enemy. Jesus, son of a carpenter, what do you have to offer? One life offered in faith and righteousness? I can multiply that millions of times over through history. What do you have? Brown paper bag? But if it's filled with readiness, a ready, soft, compassionate heart, if it's filled with whatever resources you can muster, not just by yourself, but together as a community of believers, if you put your 
I'll take responsibility for others in here. Guess what God can do with this? Amazing things. So this great miracle of abundance, what does it teach us? It teaches us there is no separation between spiritual and physical when it comes to ministry. We need to preach the full gospel. God gave them food in the garden to eat. Even after they sinned, he gave them clothes to wear. When we go to Revelation, there's a wedding supper of the lamb, and there's fruit on these trees by the river that bear fruit in season, food from beginning to end. Caring for physical needs matters, as does spiritual. And if that wow of the miracle doesn't get you, can I leave you with one really small thing? That's what this whole event is about, small things that become big things. Did you notice, and honestly, I noticed it for the first time studying this passage, that Jesus had him sit down on the green grass? Mark's the only one that mentions it, that it's green. And Mark is the shortest one. He uses the fewest words, so I kind of go, why green? Maybe God's just providing a comfortable place for them to sit because he cares. But it also reminded me that our, our earth is groaning for redemption. Our earth is subject to death and decay. And someday it will be remade. But in the meantime, God's caring for the earth. He sends rain and the grass grows green. Even though someday it will all burn and have to be remade. Spiritual band-aid. Physical band-aid. God is telling us that there will come a time when he makes all things right. And as we wait for that eternal tomorrow, he cares for our needs today. So let me move through some next steps with you quickly. Zach's going to come up and we're going to celebrate the meal of remembrance together. Step number one, carry your lunch bag. Actually take the bag that you get back eventually and put it on your dashboard. Put it in your briefcase. Put it in your backpack. Put it on the refrigerator. Take it with you so that when you just happen to see it, you'll go, why do I have that? Because it reminds me, this is my go bag. and I'm ready to do the gospel wherever God sends me. Second option, take a meal to the Nehemiah House food shelter, or the homeless shelter. We do this monthly as a church. There's a sign-up link. If you text us, we'll send it to you. Our small groups are kind of volunteering for that. You could gather a few people together and do that together and say, yes, I'm going to physically make a difference. Third item, participate in our Compassion Fund Matching Grant. For the rest of the month of February, we have some, some funds available to help people in need. We will match whatever it is you contribute if you're willing to help make the difference. Don't say, hey, Genesis Church, go solve this problem. If you have a coworker who needs a car repaired, or you have some, someone you know has a need, maybe it's a, a, a need that's going to take $200. If you'll pitch in 100 contact us. you got a little form to fill out. We'll pitch in the other 100 for you to take and love people with. And finally, you'll hear more about this in the future. I want to encourage you to connect with Orphan Helpers. They'll text us. We'll send you a link. Maybe just get on their mailing list. Get their newsletter. Begin to pray and see what God is doing in a place that maybe you haven't even thought about or care about. And let him expand your heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your love is great. And as we come to celebrate the meal of remembrance, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you have done for us and through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, You make us new inside, new spiritual beings. But God, there's more to life than just spiritual. You also help us, Lord, physically to get through this life and to care for one another. May we do the same for others. In Jesus' name, amen. I got a question for you. What what was in Jesus' bag? What is in Jesus' bag? Well, miraculous power we find in the 
uh, the message. Thank you so much, Scott, for the message. He is the Lord. There's many things in his, in his bag. But the thing I want to point out here as we look to take the meal of remembrance is his righteousness is in the bag. And he offers it to you. He offers it to me. One thing that we teach here at Genesis Church that is explicitly taught throughout the Bible is that there is nothing that you can do to merit acceptance into God. There's nothing you can do. You can't do enough good to merit acceptance with God. But you can accept what Jesus offers. You can accept his righteousness. There's a great verse on this. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It'll be on the screen. Just check this out. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. You see, you can accept his righteousness for you. You can't make your own righteousness. And when you accept Jesus' righteousness, it's multiplied. It's multiplied throughout. That's what the meal is about. That's what this meal of remembrance is all about. It's about remembering what Jesus Christ did for you and um, not remembering what you've done for yourself, but what Christ has done for you and for me. And there's really only one thing that we can do is just reflect. Reflect back on our brokenness, our sinfulness. Uh, Reflect back on God's graciousness and reflect on our our gratefulness for what he has done uh, for us. So the meal is um, symbolic with mystery. Let me explain. The bread represents the body of Jesus, that um, he came in true flesh and blood into this world. And secondly, the juice represents, it's symbolic, of the blood that Jesus shed that, that paid the price for sinfulness. A mystical side of it is revealed over in 1 Corinthians 11 where we're told not to take the meal in an unworthy manner. And it says, that is why many of you are sick. And so what I want to do right now to take a moment to reflect on our own lives, to take a moment to be quiet here and just ask God, to speak to your heart. What is he showing you in your heart that you need to confess before him? So let's do that for just a couple moments and then I will pray. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us in this place. Thank you for your righteousness that you brought to us. And thank you that it's a free gift that we accept by admitting our sins and accepting your death and your resurrection on our behalf.
I thank you for the meal that we're going to take, the little piece of bread and the cup that has juice in it. I thank you for what they represent, that, Lord Jesus, you came into this world and pitched your tent among us. You came in the flesh and blood, and you suffered and died, and your blood was shed for us. I praise you for that, and as we take this meal today, may you bless it to our bodies. I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.